0: Welcome to Superhero Leadership, the podcast that explores outstanding leadership through the lens of some of the most successful superhero leaders in business, sports, politics, the military, and public service. This podcast is for anyone who aspires to great leadership. Our host, Peter Cunio, has experienced superhero leadership throughout his life and career. From serving as a Naval officer in the Vietnam War to being the CEO of Marvel Entertainment. Peter has completed seven business turnarounds in consumer products, media, and in entertainment, and served on the boards of many public and private enterprises, often as chairman. Drawing from his list of what he considers 32 essential qualities and characteristics for great leaders, Peter offers actionable takeaways you can implement into your own life and career today. Here's Peter to introduce his guest.
1: Neil Sahoda is an IBM master inventor. He is the advisor to the United Nations for Artificial Intelligence. He is the author of the bestseller, Own the AI Revolution, and is a sought-after speaker. With over 20 years of business experience, Neil works to inspire both clients and business partners to foster innovation and to develop next generation products, and solutions powered by AI. He is one of the few people selected for IBM's Corporate Service Core Leadership Program. That program pairs leaders with non-governmental organizations to perform community-driven economic development projects. He is a member of several investor groups like the Tech Coast Angels and assists startups with investor funding. Welcome, Neil Sahota. How are you today, Neil?
2: I'm doing well, Peter. How about yourself?
1: I'm doing fine. Can we start by, if you would just describe what AI artificial intelligence actually means?
2: Sure. The simple definition, Peter, is that AI is a computer that can perform tasks that require some level of condition. Basically, there's some thought and decision-making that has to actually go into it. So. Not programmed, but it actually doesn't it, it learn like people do through something we call ground truth, show rules on how to make decisions. That's given to it by us humans. Um, we give it lots of data. we let it try things and learn. We give it human teachers. So we teach it some concepts, some other things so that it can actually perform this work. I,
1: again, I think there's so much emotion tied to this where a lot of people, of course, of course, the globe are worried about their jobs. We have strikes in the entertainment business based on the threat of AI and what it might mean for the talent in, those, in that particular industry and other industries as well. How is AI going to re- redefine the traditional notions of leadership in today's businesses and non-businesses,
2: any place where leadership is required? That's a good question, Peter. It's, there's three key areas really here to, to focus on. One, Is as the world is evolving here and more and more people are using some of these tools, what does this mean from like a talent management and workforce development standpoint? So it's about what are these capabilities, understanding what they are and how we can actually leverage them as leaders to take our organizations to wherever the next step is. The second focus is there are actually some VI tools help us actually being better leaders and actually manage more efficiently. And the third thing, that's how do you effectively manage a workforce now that's made up of machines and humans together, particularly when some of those machines may have supervisory roles over people.
1: We have these 32 essentials for superhero leadership, which are Uh, basically tips, behaviors, attitudes that we think future leaders, great leaders actually have now and will need in the future. And I want to read number 11 to you. Number 11 says, talks about creating a new culture. This is a leader's toughest job. And I always talk about the waltz or the tango, which style is appropriate. And what I meant when I wrote this many years ago, I was talking about your culture has to basically reflect what kind of business you're in and so on. But if you're in an advertising agency, the tango is probably right. But if you're running a bank, the waltz is right. And if, it, because I do turnarounds occasionally, not occasionally, almost always, I find the wrong culture. The biggest, toughest job I had was to change the culture. You're raising an interesting point about the challenge to leaders and to future leaders, because we really started this, uh, this podcast to, to, among other things, encourage people to aspire to leadership in the future. We believe that there's less good leadership in the world than maybe ever in human history. And so how do we generate superhero leaders for the future from the young? And AI is certainly going to be a part of that. You know, of all the different things that you could have gotten into in in life and your bio reflects somebody who's got a lot of interests a broad range of thinking and so on. But why AI for you
2: personally, Neil? Peter, I got to be honest, I didn't really plan plan on this track. When I, I started doing this work like 20 plus years ago, it was more around business intelligence and these kinds of things. Like we got these new tools to collect a lot of data yeah. and store it. We collect new reports. And a lot of people thought computers are telling us amazing things. And I'm like, they're not actually telling us anything. It got me thinking, could a computer look at information and draw insight? And so when I started developing this, this thing that like I'm getting patents. I was actually calling it enterprise intelligence, not AI. Okay. When we got the call from IBM, I saw some of my work and secret project Watson going on, we didn't call it artificial intelligence unit. We called it cognitive computing. It wasn't until we actually did the Jeopardy challenge. That everyone's blown away by what happened and the media is, man, AI is here now. we are like, no, it's not AI. It no, nope. It was the the catch out of the bag. Everyone's like, it's an AI. And suddenly I was found myself in the world of AI. And so so the media, like, I didn't know this, the media actually named the technology. That's what happened. So I I didn't really come and say, I want to be an AI guy, but. To your point earlier about a broad sort of interest, I've always been, again, that wants to solve complex problems. I always want to find and create value for organizations. I want to be a good manager and a good leader. It's just, sometimes this is the path you take, that you look for the opportunity. It's not so much that I'm going to be X five years. It's like, where are the opportunities to actually create that value and take you, takes you on the journey you wind up on.
1: We, one thing we do on all our interviews is we do ask our guests, talk a little bit about growing up, about what shaped the way they do things and think about things. What maybe got you interested in this kind of technology, you know, what influence maybe your whole life had on you? Because we find that excellent outstanding leaders uh, often had an had experience in younger life that really helped them towards aspiring uh, for great leadership.
2: Yeah, I, I think I was lucky and I, I don't know if it was my parents who designed it this way or not, but I'm a kid from New York. So you're exposed to a lot of different cultures and backgrounds. And so I think it creates a little openness and inquisitiveness about some of that. And my parents were very big about vacations in different spots. Again, getting, getting exposed to different cultures, foods, traditions, languages. I think I came into the world with kind of this wide open eyes. Like I remember when I was living in China, Ningbo and the people, a lot of other people, they were looking to lives this place is different than home this way. It's different than home this way. And I'm the one saying, I'm not looking for the differences. I'm trying to experience you know, the life out here and understand why they do the things that they do, get them to understand the culture and their thought process. I think it's because of that upbringing, I have that kind of unique perspective or maybe a perspective that most people don't get a chance to develop that early. And I think that's actually really important because we get locked into things that we know, things that work. And as a result, we don't really question, is there a better way of doing something? Or why is this actually being done this way? And I think that's. What really helped shape me was the exposure of these different cultures, traditions, peoples that kinda of made me realize no matter how good things are, even if it's not broken, there might be an opportunity to do something better. It's so interesting
1: to me because we see this early exposure to a diversity of of people, of situations, personal, professional. We often see that the parents were very good in guiding, providing those opportunities. Your, your point about traveling to different cultures and enjoying learning how you know, people think around the world. The same melting pot, and I often talk about in, in in talks, speeches, get-togethers about leadership, that the fact that I started by growing up in the melting pot of New York, that where I experienced every religion, every color, every everything, every ethnic background, Uh, and had acquaintances, friends, experiences, and all of this was a really big help to me to start to learn how to read people and how they might think and what have you. And it is really interesting to me that everyone we talk to, about their background growing up, we hear similar things about the opportunities they were given. Big challenge, big responsibility for you, the advisor to the UN, you are the advisor, in a sense, to the world on AI. And I a heck of a challenge, Neil, and congratulations on that. But as, as an advisor to the UN, to the extent you can share, I know some of what you're doing probably is confidential, but what are the UN's biggest concerns or hopes for AI internationally?
2: It's a, it's a great question. One of the big concerns that won't sound quite like concern, but more like a hope, is that we're not thinking about how to use the technology for good. That's, I I know it sounds funny to say it that way, but usually when something new comes out, there's a concern. Most people don't like change. How's this going to go wrong? Who's going to get impacted? These are all things you have to have to figure out. But we also don't turn our heads to think towards, can we improve public services with this? right? Some people are trying to figure out how to make money, nothing wrong with that. Is there good we can actually do with this technology? That's actually one of the biggest concerns within the UN. is this is a really powerful tool we have. How can we use this to shape the sustainable development goals and make them a reality? That's one of the reasons we actually created the whole AI for Good initiative was to create a community, an ecosystem of people that are trying to do good, can get the resources, and share their stories and hopefully Know, incentivize or at least spur other people into thinking about actions they can take big or small. We need policy need regulation. We should worry about job displacement. I think those are all the obvious things that everyone talks about. We don't talk enough about how we can actually use technology to benefit people on the planet.
1: New technologies have come throughout our history, and most people are always initially afraid about their jobs. And are they going to be replaced by machines or machines that think, and so on. And having said that, if you look at history, we've gotten through all of those successfully and moved on to other things. And actually those technology changes often have provided additional opportunities to human beings. And uh, I suspect that's going to happen here as well. One of the other superhero leadership essentials that we often talk about, and I think it relates here a lot, and I'll read it to you, it's our, our number 20. Know the difference between managing and leading. Manage things. Cash, inventory, machines, time. They won't question your decisions. But lead human beings. They will question your decisions. And so when I was thinking about what we might talk about today, that one really hit me. Because... It, in a strange way, I have this feeling that we also have to lead, to learn how to lead AI. AI doesn't fit exactly into the things category I mentioned, but it doesn't fit either into the human category. It's a little bit of both. Uh, so you have to know, you're going to have to learn, we are going to have to learn how to use AI effectively without fear. And that brings us to thinking about another question we have is soft skills. Emotional intelligence, this sets us humans apart and makes some of us good leaders. Do you think AI can ever, might replace jobs, but can it replace or augment these soft skills that we need to be successful?
2: The simple answer is yes on the augmentation. It's yes that it can actually help us become better at like emotional intelligence and empathy. Also surprisingly that, yes, in some cases, AI is actually better than us. If you you think about it at the end of the day, AI has the advantage of being able to process a lot of data in real time and a laser focus on what it's doing. So, you know, if you're talking to somebody, there's 2000 points, you can get the emotional state off a person's face. The best human can watch maybe seven to nine of them in real time. Yeah, I can watch all 2000. And it's taking the body language movements. It's listening to your voice and the inflection and drawing information from that. It's analyzing your word choice. And it, so it's taking a lot more data that we can process to understand your state and what's going on. Plus, it's not thinking about other things, right? It's totally focused on you. So it's not thinking about should I should be saying back or what are the kids up to? Did, did I ever remember to you know. That's a huge advantage for AI. And we, we've seen that because of that, it does a much better job at understanding the emotional state, even a slight change. Everything seems all right. It can detect a slight change. This person's starting to get sad, right? They can dynamically adapt them well, to adjust and find out or try and cheer the person off. We tend to miss a lot of the subtle things as people. But at the same time, it's an opportunity for AI. That she help us learn how to do some of that a lot better. Think about a future of work and the future of leadership. That's going to be a big chunk of it. Your point about leading people. The soft skills are going to be one of the, the core set of skills for any job of future. Teamwork, collaboration, empathy, negotiation, facilitation—all these things. We don't do a great job of being able to teach that, but we found them to actually create. Tools with AI and things like the metaverse to create these scenarios to get coaching, right? We, we've already got AI tools that have been trained in psychology and neurolinguistics. Neurolingu- so it can actually help us be better communicators. So we've effectively created an AI communication coach that so helps us understand like when you're dealing with this person, you see the level of commitment they're showing. These are the things they value. You see the way they learn about things. You want to engage them. These are things you should focus on, and these are some of the words you should be using to connect. So a really powerful tool for a leader to get the kind of information and feedback and be able to work that into the leadership style. It's it's true. I've always
1: felt in in certainly in competitive businesses that you always want to know as much as you can about your competition. Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. This philosophy comes in a lot of different phraseologies, but Basically, I think AI clearly be something that'll be very helpful. Let me read you another one of our essentials that I, I again, wrote some years ago. These are all, by the way, come from my experiences doing turnarounds in business. I've done seven turnarounds. And these are all things that I learned sometimes the hard way. But number 19 says, eliminate layers of management that exist only to pass data from one level to another. And I would often find going into troubled companies that there were a lot of extra people. I had an experience once I was in a new business and I got a tip from another turnaround CEO. I was complaining that seemed to be so many people and, and what have you. And every report those, it, that uh, it was spewed out by the computer went to you know 25 people and I couldn't understand why they all needed these reports and what have you. And he said to me, here's what you can do. Instead of the 25 people getting that particular report that you're talking about, or then there are many of these reports, don't send it out next month or next week and see how many people complain. Ask for it. And Neil, it was amazing. Reports that had 25 people getting it, only three people actually complained because they actually used it. And this was. In it, it every tournament, it was just this is part again of culture. The culture not being correct. Well, what what actually happened is once you eliminated all those reports, there's a question of why these people were even there. And I could see where AI is going to do some of this for you, probably much easier than it was for me. In some cases, AI will do or or, or, or uncover the things that that really are bureaucracy and uh, that can be eliminated. And I know the question for you that I just gets again to superhero leadership. What kind of preparation can leaders make here for their teams to get ready for AI? Everybody's reading about AI. There's certainly, there are people complaining already. How do you prepare people to be comfortable, this, to have a culture, to use AI as a gift, if you will, as an asset? And, but still integrate AI into making the tough decisions.
2: It's an interesting question, Peter, because it's a two-edged sword for a lot of leaders at the moment. One, they realize that the, there's new tools and just, else from an operational standpoint, you've got to incorporate them, otherwise you're going to lag your competitors, right? You just keep in pace and you have to do it. And that means educating, training your employees, you get Talk about culture. Say that the you know, culture is really important to help them understand that you're not doing this to to you know, permeate a bunch of people. You're doing this just to even remain competitive. That's the two. This is the interesting thing about two edged sword here is that you actually what we found is that some people employees are actually already using these tools. They're already actively integrating things like generative AI, like ChatGPT, but not telling their management or leadership they're actually doing that. Right. right. Right, That's when they're that worried about the backlash, and obviously you shouldn't do that, especially if you're working with of information. But actually, but I'll get to this more. And a lot of people didn't want to tell. I think one third of people using ChatGPT at work have not told their employer. And the <laughs> biggest reason for that is they've gone from doing good work to becoming a superstar, and so they're getting a lot of accolades, some promotions, maybe priests and all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff, and they Don't want to give up that competitive advantage. They're actually worried that if their employer finds out, they'll get more work and the rest of their peers will start using the same tools and they'll fall back down to good work rather than a superstar. Isn't that ironic?
1: Well, no, it's human nature. We love human nature. You mentioned, of course, that AI depends on a lot of data. You're, the more data, the better. And that's how you teach AI, in a sense, to think it based on the data. But of course, human beings are providing that data. Do you keep biases out of the data? Or make sure that the data is such that it's, it will not bias any of the outputs from treatment with AI.
2: That is unfortunately a challenge that is unsolvable. I don't mean that in a bad way. We can never fully strip out bias. There's always going to be some element of it in there. All data is biased, as we say. Yeah. And AI yeah, is human teacher, so it's going to pick up on our biases. We can do things to reduce the risk of bias, particularly implicit bias, which is the unconscious bias, by actually having diverse training teams so that people have different backgrounds, understandings, perspectives, thoughts, and to have people that are actually looking. For some of these biases. It's the UN is really big about AI robot judges. We'll, we'll hope will alleviate court backlogs, speedier trials, reduce corruption, improve access to justice. It sounds good. We have tons of data to actually trade in the AI, but is that data biased? Absolutely. And I know that if you look at the US court system, a lot of people are thinking like, well, there's probably racial bias and some of other things, regional bias. It optimally is, but you know what the biggest bias we actually discovered in analyzing the data? How hungry the judge is. The more hungry the judge is, the more harsh to become in their sentencing and rulings. So it's like, how do you manage that? Right? We're thinking like, is the data timestamp? We factor that in, we don't know if the judge ate breakfast that day. And you don't have a small or large lunch. Everyone's got a different metabolism in the way that they, you know, metabolize. Some people might get hungry faster or less. You there's so many things to consider. It's like next to impossible. It's almost like the thing with AI is we don't want to make things worse from an accuracy output standpoint. Hopefully we can make it better. We have to learn to live with some of the bias. In some cases, AI has an easier time of being less biased than we are. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development is making the push towards now loan applications, mortgage loans should actually be processed by an AI system, right? Because even if you blind the name to the loan assessor, they're still (laughs) making things like we have this kind of job and they're moving this kind of neighborhood. There's things that factor in that. The AI doesn't do that. When you think about, should children be approved or not and at what rate? It's just a math equation. It's literally just a math equation. And that's what AI is good at. Mm-hmm. So there's actually one area, ironically, that AI, you don't have to worry about the implicit bias. What's interesting, there's actually an ethical
1: challenge in a sense with AI. It's not that AI itself is unethical, but it has to do with, with the inputs.
2: That's a hundred percent. I mentioned the ground truth. That's why it's so important. We get that right and set that. Right. The yeah. Same thing. If you tell the AI, well, the national Enquirer is a the news source. It doesn't know any better. It's just going to assume that. So anything it reads in there is going to be like, it must be true. That's what I was told. So it's real easy to mess it up. I always say that when you start teaching the AI system something to do, it's like the three-year-old child. And it's really hard to make the AI, because it remembers everything gets read, Seeing or dog. I, I remember back in my IBM Watson days, we let Watson read the Urban Dictionary. And then it could not stop cursing. How do you explain to an AI the appropriate, inappropriate times to stop cursing? <laughs> we, we could not figure it out. We literally had to roll, roll Watson back to a point before it had read the Urban Dictionary. We didn't know how to solve that problem.
1: One of the other things to think about is the role of government in in regulating, if it's even possible, AI. It's interesting that we're doing this uh, chat right now because a couple of days ago, President Biden came out with an executive order on AI. And I just hope that the people in government even understand AI at this point, because, uh, I'd hate to see it either overregulated or misregulated, but there's so many impacts from AI depending on what you're talking that, that it's almost endless amount of iterations here that you have to consider. I think. Um,
2: there's, um, there's a lot of churn here. We're in this state of you see the Spider-Man meme where there's three Spider-Man that are all pointing at each other. What yes. Same type of thing because the, yeah, the regulators are. Look, we don't understand the technology to be done. We expect the technologists to tell us how people might use or misuse the technology. The technologists don't think that way, right? They're asked to build something that does X and to just focus on that one outcome. They don't think about other uses or misuses, right? And so they're they look, they're looking to their leadership to say, aren't you guys, you guys are worried about that, right? Speaking that out, they're like, we're defining the guidelines of the regulators. We so you got this weird yes. circle going around where yes. nobody knows what's actually going to happen. Yes. But AI
1: doesn't make decisions ultimately for people, ultimate decisions. It provides information. It provides various other forms that you can uh, create AI in. But it doesn't ultimately say you should vote Republican or you should vote Democrat.
2: Well, it doesn't do that. It doesn't make decisions on life, death matters for people. Right. It's just another data source for us. It's a great at synthesizing a lot of information, right? The average physician has less than five hours a month to read the latest medical journals and clinical studies, but they, I can synthesize that information from the doctor, right? So nice summary. So I can actually process the information the time they have, but the AI doesn't say this person has this disease. We might come back and say, based on the data we have there's a probability that this might be one of them, but that's something that the doctor just factors into their own decision-making process. Exactly.
1: Exactly. I
2: wonder if, if we asked AI, if about itself, what it would say. You should try that. Several people have asked ChatGPT, what emotions do you have? Uh-huh. It actually comes back and says stuff I have. What was it? The info green. So it's not like it actually feels the emotion, but it's trying to understand the concept and say what would be things like, I understand the concept of like greed and envy. What would the machine being greedy about? AI's fuel is data. I want lots of data, lots of information. It's why it has info greed. So it's an interesting way to see how it tries to stretch itself and put itself in almost like humanized way to explain some of the stuff, even though it doesn't really feel any emotion. Neo AI is still a, an early
1: developing technology. It's obviously 410, some great things to, to help make human beings' lives better. What excites you the most about what you see in the future for AI?
2: I honestly believe that AI is going to help us be more human. People find that a little counterintuitive, but AI is taking over some of the grunt work, allowing us to focus on more of the value work. But what we find is we trying to teach the machine some of these things like communication, or things about mental health or, even love it's become a very deep exploration where it needs to be human. There's a project in Nairobi going on called Loving AI. Probably not what people think right off the bat, but loneliness is one of the biggest illnesses in the world. And we're saying could we create an AI system that creates a safe space of unconditional love, non-replacement for human relationships. For these people that feel lonely to have some sort of outlet available anytime, what's a safe space? And so we're thinking, how do you teach unconditional love? What does unconditional love mean? Is that different than normal love? Like mean, what's normal love? You have the love between two spouses, love between parent and child, love between friends. Kim's really deep exploration to what it actually means to be human and some of the things that we actually do. And that's why I think that as we progress a lot these things with artificial empathy. We talk about things around mental illness. We talk about leadership, how we can, you know, manage their much performance with the being of our employees. These things are going to activate more things within us and help us actually be more human. Neil, I understand you have a new book coming out.
1: Can you tell us something about it?
2: Yeah, Peter, I think you'll find the topic fascinating. It's on innovative leadership in the world of AI. Can I get a signed copy? I'll make sure you get one. Okay. More and more happy to do that. But if people are wondering how like AI is going to transform leadership and the tools available and how you manage machines, that's the stuff we actually dive into. It just came out and it's available at bookstores everywhere.
1: I want to thank you very much, Neil. This has really been very uh, educational, certainly for me and hopefully for our listeners as well. Good luck to you. I was very happy to hear Neil say, Artificial intelligence is going to help us be more human. That's encouraging. Here are a few other things I hope you took away from our conversation. First, AI can help leaders become better at emotional intelligence and empathy by analyzing data and providing insights that humans may miss. That was surprising to me. Second, AI has the potential to augment soft skills and improve communications improve collaboration and facilitate in leadership. I was happy to learn that actually AI is not necessarily a threat to leadership. The third area I think we want to remember is that we need to watch out for bias in AI data because this is a challenge, but diverse training teams and conscious efforts can reduce implicit bias. Another takeaway was that AI can eliminate layers of management by automating tasks and providing real-time data analysis. This allows leaders to focus on value-added work. And I think the final takeaway today was the fact that the role of government in regulating AI is complex, as regulators often lack the understanding of the technology, while technologists focus on building AI systems without considering
0: potential misuse. One of the unique benefits of this podcast is your ability to make Peter a part of your leadership team. Peter's looking forward to sharing his experiences with fellow leaders and businesses of all sizes. If you have a particular business concern or challenge, Peter wants to help. So send your written or recorded question to peter at shlpodcast.com. That's peter at shl for superhero leadership podcast.com. Here is this week's question. This question was sent to me via email from Joseph in Tampa,
1: Florida. Joseph writes, Dear Mr. Cuneo, my health supplement company is facing more competition and it feels like the market is getting crowded. I'm worried that this might limit our growth. How can we keep coming up with new and better products to stay ahead of the competition and make sure our business continues to grow successfully? thank you for considering my question i am looking forward to getting your advice joseph the world is quite different regarding products and brands than it used to be 10 even 20 years ago actually today your brand what your company stands for is more important to consumers than the actual products themselves and it's interesting because if you look at advertising let's say on television All you see is lifestyle advertising, drug companies, car companies, insurance companies with geckos and other animals, all advertising. And it's all about setting the tone for your brand. The culture of your company is more important than you have a new vitamin supplement to market or so on. So I would think about that. First, you need to define for yourself and for your organization. You know, what does your brand actually stand for? What is it? What do you want your customers to value? Everyone says they have quality products. That's why you don't see any ads much for individual products anymore, because everyone says the same thing. We have quality products. So beyond quality, what might your company stand for? One of the areas that I particularly think is important is customer service. And customer service will alienate people or bring a lot of people back. I am actually chairman of a healthcare company, a medical technology company that has a very unique product. And we insist that our customer service all be people based in the United States that speak English well. And we also have a number of people who speak Spanish so that any time, day or night that a customer wants to inquire about the product or has a question using the product, which is often the case, although it's not particularly complicated, they can talk to a live human being. So I think that customer service is something you might think about that might very well differentiate your company from others. I also think I would argue that to stay in front, you need to hire creative people, people who have a love of trying new ideas and new things. That's how you stay ahead of the competition. By the way, you should not be afraid to learn from the competition, but always look to leapfrog them. What's the better idea above what they're doing? And I think if your company becomes known for customer service, being human, talking about creative ideas, getting feedback from the customers, that will differentiate you maybe from all your competition, but certainly from the bulk of uh, the people that you worry about. I hope that helps very much, Joe, and good luck. That's it for this episode of Superhero Leadership. I wanna thank Neil Sahoda for joining me. Be sure to get a copy of his book, Innovative Leadership. I hope you will join me again next time. Until then, stay focused, stay driven, and keep leading like a superhero with purpose, passion, and integrity. I'm Peter Cuneo. Hey, by the way, if you haven't gotten your free copy of the 32 Essentials for Superhero Leadership,